welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast. This is the Code of Ethical Conduct for Agile Coaching series. I am your host, Renee Craven, and today's episode features Terry Given and Dave Pryor. Terry discovered Scrum and Agile 10 years ago. She has been exploring and experimenting ever since. Terry enjoys the world of possibilities. She's tried each Scrum accountability, tested multiple Agile practices, worked in various industries across public, private, and non-profit sectors. Currently, she coaches new Scrum Masters to explore their role and achieve greater efficacy with their teams. Dave has been leading technology projects for over 20 years. His journey from waterfall to Agile was not an easy one, and he shows up every day with one simple goal, make the journey from waterfall to Agile suck less for others than it did for me. Dave has been podcasting since 2008 and produces Leading Agile Sound Notes and Drunken PM Radio's Reluctant Agilist. In this episode, I chat to Terry and Dave about Section 3 of the Code of Ethical Conduct, which is introspection and continuing professional development. Together, we explore the importance of remaining curious to our abilities as coaches and how the community can help with that. Thank you for tuning in to the Women in Agile podcast. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Terry and Dave. Welcome, Terry. Welcome, Dave. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about Section 3 of the Code of Ethics. Uh, Section 3 is introspection and continuing professional development. I was going to read the little dot points underneath this section, um, and then we'll jump right into it. But So the first one is, I will engage with a peer group or mentor to explore ethical and other challenges in my agile coaching work. The second one, I will seek to improve my self-awareness and effectiveness through introspection and professional development. Let's start with the word introspection. Um, Can I please get you both to share what introspection means to you. So introspection for me really means just being open to understanding maybe even where you are with your your abilities, with how you're actually um, applying your craft. It's taking a really good look at where you are and thinking about what what opportunities lie there, either in improvement or adjustment, and just being able to take a good look in the mirror and having a, an understanding of of what's looking back. I think I think for me it's all that, and I um, maybe internally I'm a little aggressive about it sometimes, in that I'm trying to challenge myself, especially when I look when I think about this. It's it challenges a lot of the things that I've done when I hold it up against my past. So it's it's taking a very hard look and trying to hold the mirror up and asking, you know, am I doing, am I behaving in an appropriate way? Am I following whatever compass I have and whatever other standards I'm trying to uphold? Um, and trying to be as, I guess, merciless in my self-investigation as possible, trying not to cut myself too much slack. Mm. And then it's having that... Um, yeah, just being honest with yourself, I guess. Um, and also balancing that with not being too hard on yourself at the same time. <laughs> yeah, but there's like that, that fine line yeah. where it's like it's really easy to let myself get away with stuff 
And so I think I tend to err a little bit more on the other side, which isn't always that healthy either, but um, there's some balance in there somewhere. Mm. Do you have a, a trigger that um, you go, oh, man, I've got to check myself? Um, do either of you have that kind of trigger sorted? I will say there are certain times when I'm coaching and there are certain uh, language sort of triggers that I have that someone will say something and I immediately skip into probably a bias and I really have to, I have to work super hard to stop, be mindful of what's occurring inside of me <laughs> and then try to return to the present when I'm coaching so that I can be there for the full conversation. So I often find that the little things like that will make me stop and sort of take notice and then, you know, have to actively work hard to get back. Mm. Yeah, I find that after, um, I mean, during at the end of every day, like I do spend time trying to think through what went on and, and kind of explore some of that. But I also find in the classes that I teach that there are moments when students say things that kind of it's kind of like I get smacked upside the head. I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't even realize where my bias was showing up there or how I was reacting to a certain thing or creating a situation that maybe wasn't my desired uh, end. Um, so I'm, I'm always really grateful when I get challenged that way. Mm -hmm. Nice. So the first example in this section is around um, being involved in peer group uh, reflection practices, I guess I could say. Um, and I mean, the example has you meet once a month in groups of three within your organization to discuss any ethical challenges that you experience and support each other through other challenges in your coaching work. Um, it, it goes on a little bit, but uh, I'm curious in the organizations that um, you have been a coach or in your role as a coach, how common are those peer group um, or peer groups? I, I have never seen that <laughs> in, in practice. I mean, I, there are things where I will sit down with peers kind of ad hoc when I have a question or I need um, somebody to help me see what I'm missing because that's really what it's about often. But um, I've never been a part of a consulting organization where it was specifically like, let's sit down and talk about that. It is, you know, what are you struggling with? It, it's more general. Mm. And people can bring those things up, but it is not the main focus of those groups. Mm. What about yourself, Terry? Um, it, it's very odd because I feel like I have been in some type of peer group in almost every organization where I've been coaching. And I agree with you that sometimes the focus of that peer group isn't necessarily to do an um, ethical sort of like inspection or introspection. Um, but they certainly is something that does come up from time to time as you, as you know, we've been in those peer conversations about uh, situations that are coming up and like what the dynamics around that might be. And sometimes um, I've been in spaces where we've done rotational coaching. And so somebody might, who might have gone 
out of that rotation and I'm coming into that rotation, we have the ability to kind of like check to say like, am I, am I reading the situation well, or is there something else perhaps that might not be apparent to me? Um, and so I've, I've had it in almost every organization, but I think when we look at this example, there's a lot to unpack there that isn't always present in those peer, um, in those peer groups. Mm. I do. I feel like that in, in this community, one of the things that's so great about it is I have a number of people that I feel like I can call on to and say, like, I don't know if I'm seeing this the right way. You know, there's certain behavior and I feel like it's not cool, but it, maybe I'm just having a weird reaction to it. Um, I feel very lucky to be part of a community where I know a number of people I can call on for that. But it's not like an established thing. Mm. The reason I asked the question was uh, similar. I have not, in organizations that I've coached in, I've been a member of, um, you know, a group that we would regularly catch up and we would talk about things, but not the ethical stuff was is not a common thing to discuss. And, I mean, in ICF accredited stuff, this is kind of known, this is known as supervision. And I think that's what this example is trying to um, get across from an agile coaching perspective. We need something that is like that supervision, unpacking, helping coaches, agile coaches through uh, those ethical situations that they might be uh, experiencing and it's okay to talk about it. And there's definitely not much focus on that at the moment, in my experience anyway. I would agree. Often the ethical component kind of gets put to the backseat mm. and the other challenges typically get pushed forward, at least in my experience. Um, I think part of that is that when you, you really look at it, most people would think of themselves as ethical people that, you know, we're, we're all pretty good humans, great individuals. Um, but when you really kind of take a look down through, especially this code and you, you can, <laughs> I, I will speak from the eye perspective here, but I can, I can point like Dave kind of mentioned that you get critical about maybe some stuff that you've done before. And you really start thinking like, goodness, is that, is that truly my past? Do I do that now? Like that's the power of the introspection is to really be able to say like, wow, maybe there were a time when I wasn't transparent about my skills. And, mm -hmm. you know, am I, yeah. am I really being mindful of how I present those now in a way that is, makes it understood for everybody? Just pulling yeah, an example. It, it, it's hard to, because it makes you, or at least for me, I feel very vulnerable with it. Like when I read through it, I can see all the places where I've done things in the past. Where I'm like, oh, that totally fell short. Um, and I think I, I would be a little bit hesitant to call myself out on some of that in front of other people because I'm already judging myself. I don't want them to judge me too. Mm -hmm. Like I'd rather just hide it and go try to fix it and not be that person again. Um, but it's scary, you know, to, to have to look at some of this stuff and think, wow, I totally did not act in accordance with this in that moment. Mm. Yes. Interesting. Another thing that I thought about when I was reading this particular example is uh, similar, Dave. Like I go, oh, how much of those conversations that we were having or I was having, how much was that 
gossip. Like how much of that should have been actually yeah. kept um, confidential or for a certain, for a specific uh, peer group ethical conversations um, practice as opposed to just sharing information about individuals or teams or whatever it is. Um, and I think also where does it cross over between being gossip and being something that is helpful? Like in the one example about somebody with mental health, like my parallel to that is I've had people on teams with substance problems. And I've talked about that in classes and in presentations because it's about my challenge in dealing with that and what I would like people to maybe if they run into it, like things I think you could consider. But I'm sure that a, whole, a large part of it shows up as like he's just talking smack about this person that worked with him who had a problem. Mm. Um, and that's something I really kind of have to question. Like, is that okay or not okay? Mm. And where is it gossip and where is it me sharing you know, like lessons learned. Mm. Do you have any stories or anything you can share on that one, Dave, how you've approached that <laughs> example before? Well, I mean, I, what I've tried to do is abstract it a little bit. So um, I, I've had a number of people with substance problems on my team. I mean, to the level where I can rank them in order of preference, if you're going to work for me and have an addiction. <laughs> um but I'm not trained in how to deal with that. And so mm. I have handled it very poorly a number of times. Um, and I've also tried many, many different things and reached out to many, many different mentors. Um, but I don't have any people in my circle that have expertise in that area. Um, so it's a little bit tough in kind of figuring out how to respond. And I, I think the thing that I'm questioning now is when it, when it does come up, what is a way that I could share those stories that is respectful of the person who might have had the problem? Because I think in the past when I have told it, whether I'm giving a presentation or in a class, there's been a bit of it that's a little salacious, like it's for shock value or entertainment value and people will remember it. And some of the stories are kind of comical in retrospect. At the time, they weren't at all. But, um, you know, when I hold it up against the, the ethics here, it makes me wonder is, you know, how far out of bounds am I on that? Like, mm -hmm. where's the line and what would be okay to share? And if I am going to share some of that stuff, how could I do it in a way that is still compelling without being just completely like generic? Because I would want people to be able to connect to it and remember it and the details are what makes that happen. But I still have to be respectful of the other person. Mm -hmm. Have you ever come to a realisation or a point where you've said to your um, coachee, this is out of my wheelhouse, I'm out of my depth now, um, you know, you need to, we need to find someone else for you to speak to? I have. Not, I don't think, I don't know if on that, there's one person in particular I don't think that I did, um, but there's been a number of situations where things have risen that are personal in nature, like the one I just mentioned, but also other things where I can just say, like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. Like, this is beyond my, my area of expertise, whether it is a personal issue or, a, a, I mean, a practices issue or anything like that. I think 
it, being able to admit when you're out of your depth or when it's beyond your abilities is a really important part of being able to do what we do mm -hmm. and do it with integrity. 100%. I can think of times where I've been asked or I'm coaching in a situation and things kind of creep outside that scope of agile coaching and it gets more toward almost personal therapy. And I am certainly in no way qualified to be a, a therapist or a counselor for somebody. And in which case, like, you know, you, you want to be supportive. You want to be present for them. You want to acknowledge the space and maybe sometimes the heaviness that's in the room. But um, you, you certainly do need to kind of uh, stop. <laughs> I've had to stop and say, like, this isn't a space where I can help you. And I, I think it comes with getting those, like, almost those mature relationships with the people that you coach, where, like, it's on one hand absolutely spectacular that you have this comfort level. And on the other hand, it comes with this responsibility, and it's that much more important that you hold that responsibility to say, like, this isn't something I can do responsibly, like, comfortably for you. This is not a, a, an ability that I have to speak to you on. Mm. Mm. I, I struggle with that one. I, I like. I feel like sometimes um, I, I'm way out of my depth, or I'm with somebody who's really like really needs to share whatever they're sharing and there's a part of me that feels obligated to listen like to, to show up and let them do what they have to do because it's sometimes it's not about me it's just about them having to get stuff off their chest and I've been that person too but then at the end how do I tactfully say like you know I hear you and I see you and I'm not the guy that can help you with this like we need to find you somebody who can because um, sometimes it's it's hard I mean Terry I would imagine for you when you've been in that spot it's difficult when somebody's like oversharing and pouring all this stuff out and you're like like it's hard it's tough to know how to respond to that absolutely and you know to your point like they are full-fledged sharing everything and it's kind of how do you get that from like the full faucet to a little bit slower to down to a trickle yeah <laughs> and then to be able to say like I, you know, you sincerely want that person to be like, like you said, seen and heard and respected. Yeah. But then simply to be able to say like, I acknowledge your problem or I acknowledge what you are saying is a problem for you. Um, how do we go about getting you the right people? And when I say we, it's really just a matter of like, how do I help you facilitate into figuring this part of your problem out? And if that's just who's the right person to talk to then that's the, that's the next piece of facilitation is to say, like, I'm glad that you've said it. Let's work together. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you think it's okay to say, like, these are the parts I can help you with and these are the parts that are beyond my ability? Absolutely. I think that's part of being transparent about your abilities. Um, and I think it's that much more important when you are in order to say that, like, you're going to get a really good coach when we're talking about these certain things but when we're talking about other things I might need to refer you to a peer if I have a peer that's in that space even even you know setting aside like if it's a personal concern which is certainly outside the scope of agile coaching maybe um, but even if it's something that like I have a better peer that could be of assistance whereas I'm not 
um, skilled to do a certain thing. I think it's really important. And I think it builds a better trust when you're able to be that courageous and that vulnerable to say, like, I'm not the coach you need in this situation. Mm. Yeah. And having that conversation, uh, well, not, yeah, in your agreement, when you're putting agreement together and kind of this is, is my boundary or this is as far as I think I can go. And when those moments arise, if those moments arise, then we'll talk about them and we'll figure out the best path forward. Yeah. Now, I will also say probably like Dave, I get a little type A. And so when there's a space where I have to like refer out, I'm like, all right, that goes on the bucket list. <laughs> where do I, where do I get that skill set? What's next? How do I, how do I invest in that personal development? <laughs> yeah. So that's, so that's interesting. Cause for me, like one, one real life example is in classes when people are talking about like executive management, executive management won't tell us what's important, things like that. I mean, I'm great with teams and you can put me in a room of executives, but that's not my jam. Like, that's not something that I gravitate towards. It's not something I really want to do. It's not an area where I feel like I am of a higher skill level. But I, so I would punt on that every time. Like, I'll find you somebody who can do this, but I purposely am leaving that one off my bucket list because <laughs> I don't want that one. I don't want that job. It's a really good segue, though, because the other part of this section is professional development. Uh, so creating that bucket list, I don't know if I'd call it a bucket list, a, a, a professional development checklist, thing, 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 backlog, that's the word, backlog of things that I need to or want to learn more about. Um, what do you do for your own professional development, Terry? Everything. <laughs> um, I just think learning comes in so many different ways. Um, it's... It's everywhere if we open our hearts and minds to it. I happen to be, uh, a, I read everything. Like I have, I have stacks of books. At some point, I also consider myself a book collector because not all of them are read. Um, <laughs> but I, I will, um, I'll hear something and I'll jot it down. I have a book of books that I want to read. I haven't bought them all. Um, or if I see like a really interesting like like um well a podcast or a web series or a something i will stop and i will put that time on my calendar to like make sure that i am dedicating enough time to like sitting listening t like note taking all of it and sort of like decomposing like what's important to me in that space and it's hard because i feel like there are so many more topics than there are time mm. all right self dave um, I am, I think, really lucky in this, in this, with this question. So I'm, I'm very selfish, and I've been doing podcasting since 2008. So that is where a lot of my continuous learning comes from, um, and and I am very fortunate. Like, for example, last week, um, I did one with Troy McGinnis about metrics with a very specific question that I wanted to explore, and so I do that really for my own interest, but I'm able to share it out to other people, which is really cool. And um, the other thing is I'm part of uh, like a kind of a cohort um, at, at um, Modus Cooperandi, which is Jim Benson's company. There's a group of us that meet every week to talk about how we're using the things we're doing to try to advance our ability to work with teams. And it's, it's a community that 
I'm a part of because no matter how tired I am from what's happened during the day when I'm with those people, I not only learn, but it like sparks me back up. So there is for me the aspect of learning, but also the people that fill me with energy and make me want to keep doing what I'm doing. And I think I've been really lucky in that I have um, a, a lot to draw on there. So I don't, I mean, I go to conferences and stuff like that. I don't take too many classes, but the people that I'm talking to, the people that I'm interviewing, the people that I'm working with are all people I'm learning from. Um, and I and I do agree with Terry that like everything has something to teach you. Everything you do, the worst project, the worst situation you're in, the question you have to ask is, okay, what, what can I learn from this? Like, what is it trying to teach me? Because it'll keep showing up until you take the lesson. Yep, very true. It is that curious remaining curious um to and acknowledging that there's you can always learn more you can you can always you know what's that what's that line you want to be one percent better than you were yesterday um so continually looking i mean for me i uh also a reader um i can probably say that these days um i never used to be a reader uh and now um, I have two book clubs um, where I read, so I'm reading like two books at a time, um, sometimes a few more. So I'm getting a little bit, uh, I don't know who I am really, um, reading more than one book, <laughs> let alone reading two or three. Um, and I, so I use that practice of a book club to keep me um in check though to keep me otherwise I will kind of depends on the book if the book's a bit of a hard slog then those book clubs um are a godsend when it comes to okay we're catching up in a week and I've got to read these chapters so it makes me sit down and read those chapters and then you've got these other books where you just go oh crap I read further than I'm supposed to read um you just kind of lose yourself in it um so yes the um, the books are, are very valuable. Um, I also like to, um, I kind of promised myself that I would go on at least, I would invest in at least one professional training um, course a year. Uh, so the last couple of years I've been um, uh, going to, I've done uh, professional coaching um, training uh, to try and kind of grow and evolve that part of me um but yeah it's a it is it's a continual i mean you can use the word introspection here as well right it's it's continually looking being innocent uh, being honest with yourself and um, going oh no that's a gap in my knowledge i don't know anything about that everyone's talking about this thing um and i need to you know try it out or read more about it or experience it for myself so one thing that I've picked up from some people that when I ask them questions about this kind of stuff is that they purposely pursue things that they have no skill or knowledge of. Like it might not have anything to do with work, but they'll purposely seek out stuff that they suck at just to get back to that beginner like child mind approach and keep themselves humble. But it also like wakes up other parts of their ability to see what they're doing when they bring it back. Mm. I think there is professional development we can do that isn't always directly related to our jobs. Mm, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. I think even it's 
it's talking to people even that you might not normally talk to and set aside like skill building, right? But it's really getting development in any way, right? We as coaches, we talk to so many people in our professional careers, but it's it's talking to, for me, I'm, I'm a little bit older, but it's, it's talking to younger people who are in the workplace or who are just generally socializing. So I have a little bit of an, an understanding of like the things that are of concern to them and how if I just talk to people who are my age, uh, <laughs> <laughs> instead of talking about retirement, um, <laughs> but like if I just talk to people my age, I would only see the world sort of in one way. And, yeah. and I just happen to have a, a peer who's absolutely brilliant every time I talk to her about helping me see what younger people are concerned about. Mm -hmm. And like, it's not necessarily professional development, but even after I leave those conversations with her, I stop and I think like, wow, am I painting the wrong picture, even in my own mind about, you know, her generation, like, or the cares that they consider or are important to them? Am I thinking, am I thinking wrong? And those conversations with her are just absolutely brilliant because it makes me think about the way that I approach other people. Mm. Yeah. I was part for a while. Trisha Broderick was hosting this diversity call and I was part of that group and I joined it because I mean, I'm a 50 year old white male. Like I, <laughs> I have a lot of blind spots and I have a lot of things that I say and do that, other people kind of look at me with stink eye and, and I know that and I'm hypersensitive to it and I needed a place where I could learn more about it and try to figure out how to not be such like a bull in a china shop um, from people that I could trust and so that was really amazing for me and that she created this space where people were welcoming um, even though I you know I'm sure I said things that were like not okay but I'm trying to learn and I need a place where professionally I can kind of up my skills and not worry about like that to me, that's the big vulnerability thing with all the ethics stuff too, is like one wrong thing and I'm, I'm done. Um, so it's hard to be open and vulnerable with that stuff. You need a place where you can do that. Mm. I was uh, delivering a training course, not last week, week before and just, on picking up on what you said, Terry, about the younger generation. And I had some younger people in my training group and one of the activities was, um, it was product owner training, was putting personas together. And um, they had one persona for an old woman um, as she was in her mid-40s. <laughs> and I'm like, um, holy moly. <laughs> oh. So yes, that I was a... how close they got to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, they the, that generation now they uh, they're now. I mean, I was there 20 years ago as well. I guess thinking mid 40s was old, but um, yes, this they but they had this person painted as a real like an 80 year old in my mind now. Like the things that she would do from day to day and the activities and what she loved and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, oh, hang on. That's, that's, that's not a 45-year-old. Just wait till you get there, like what my mum used to say to me. Just wait till you're my age. 
Oh, sorry. Um, thank you for listening. <laughs> that, um, that's an amazing learning opportunity, though, because you get to see how they perceive you. And then how do you work with that to help them see things differently? You know, you get to practice that. Mm. Yes. Other than just saying, get off my lawn. <laughs> yes, it, it's, it's challenging, right? When you're a trainer in that scenario and you're um, being offended by, <laughs> by different things that different people say or do and you're like, no, I'm a trainer. I, I have to continue with this training course. I have to um, be, you know, mature about this. And sometimes I, not that particular example, but... Uh, there was something else that one of the other train that got people in my group said, and I just said to them, you're triggering me right now. And this is why. Um, and kind of gave them a, a story of why that was triggering me um, just to kind of help them see where I was coming from and see what uh, impact they have when they say things like that. Um, so can I ask a question about this? So hmm. when I've had students say that to me, because there have been things I've said or done. Um, and they have told me that what I'm saying, you know, it strikes them in a wrong way or it's triggering for them or whatever. It does cause me to, like, pause and take a step and think about it. And there are times when I hear what they're saying and I'm like, yep, that was over the line. And there are other times that I hear what they're saying I'm like, yeah, I can't get there. Mm. Um, and so I can avoid that behavior while I'm with them. But I don't know. Like that's the thing where I guess maybe on the professional development side, and maybe I have room to grow. I feel like there are, for each one of us, there's places where we'll be able to meet other people, and there's other places where we're able to see where they are and be like, yeah, I can't. Yeah, can't yeah, yeah. Does that happen for both of you, or is it just because I'm like an old white guy? <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I. There are certainly times where, like, the feedback makes just immediate sense to me, right? To your point, like, you know what? Mm -hmm. That's that's something that, like, I can see your perspective and I understand that. And there are times where it's, like, it. to your point, it's exact, it's, it's that much harder because, like, I have seen it this way for so long that, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's ingrained. Um, at the end of the day... I don't know if it's right, wrong or otherwise, but I tell myself that like it takes so many different types of people in this world to make this world the big, beautiful place that it is and that it's okay. it's okay for me to kind of have that in my mind if I've really given it thought, right? Like if, if this is really the way that I feel about that and like maybe we're not coming to a, to, to the same place that, you know, I'm I'm a different I'm a different variety than that other person and, yeah. and that's okay too. Hmm. And I find Dave especially delivering training. So I, from a, even want to think about it as a professional development opportunity, every single course that I deliver, yeah, because absolutely. it is, there you, are, you those, learn from them as much as they learn from you. Absolutely. And so you evolve as a trainer, but there's also those situations that you go, hmm, yeah, nah, that's not me, or I'm never going to think like that, or I'm never going to agree with that person on that issue or that whatever the situation is. Um, but there's other things that you go where they challenge you or they ask you a question and you go, oh, okay, that's, I've never thought of it like that before. Um, and then those 
things that you learn just from, um, you know, thinking about their perspective. Yeah. As I, I've shared those stories in future training courses where it's forced me to rethink something, um, what I originally thought about this thing and now what I think of it based on, think about it based on what how I was challenged during that training session um, has, yeah, changed the way I've trained it in the future. So, yeah, I, the, as, as painful as some training sessions can be, especially when you're called old, um, I love them. I love, I love delivering my training. They're, they're so much fun. So there's a thing about this that I hadn't really thought of before, which is um, I need to create safety for the other people, mm. but I also need to have safety for myself too. And I don't have to agree with everything everyone says. Yep. Um, which is interesting in terms of the ethics thing, because like that, to, that to me might fall into that gray area because there's mm -hmm. certain things you might believe that are at odds with the people you're working with, but somewhere between the ethics and your own compass, there's got to be a truth. Mm. Yeah. Um, one of the other statements that is in um, this section uh, around professional development uh, in the ex in the appropriate example was the a bit of, the bit about um, you occasionally speak at conferences and run training sessions for less experienced coaches, but you don't see any value in attending workshop workshops or training yourself. How much have you seen that in other coaches? Oh, wow. I, again, confidentiality, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I have seen, especially very much like when I was starting um, my, my career with Scrum, and there's a there's a million consultants and a million coaches who are happy to be there. Um, one of the things that it struck me was like there were so many who were like, I I know the things, I don't I don't need to be taught the things from anyone else. And mm. what's really interesting is you really kind of get a sense for who that person is, because like it's to to some of what we've been saying, it's it's not just the skills, it's not just the practices, it's not just those things that like your education comes from interpersonal dynamics. It comes from understanding the context of the world in which we live and how that continually changes. Like mm -hmm. the, the social sort of feel for the world, like how that shifts. And so mm -hmm. to the degree that, and not, like I said, I've seen them, <laughs> that, that these folks go, you know, I know all of the things, I don't need to do anything else. Um, mm -hmm. It's so it's so narrow minded and narrow focused that they're, they miss so much more. Mm. Yeah. I think if you're not constantly trying to find ways to challenge that, whatever, you know, then, I mean, you, from an agile perspective, you've kind of walked away from the whole thing. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's, Maybe maybe you need to people need to attend conferences or other lectures. Maybe they just need to stop reading books for a while and start listening to people. Mm. But there are people that are very hung up on being experts, and there are people that are very hung up on quoting experts. And when they're not synthesizing that into their own through their own experiences and thinking about like what's my spin on it, what's my take on it, I think we all lose out from that. Mm. Um, and I think people get into a level of comfort 
with what they're doing. If you're training, right, and you're training the same class, you know, once or twice a month for years on end, and you don't throw it away and start over from scratch, that's unfortunate for you and the students. I think our job is to be willing to walk away from the stuff that we think we know and see if we're wrong mm. and explore new options because that's the whole that's our whole job. I mean, that's what we're teaching people, right? Be open to new things, be willing to try new stuff. Um, I don't feel like there are people that are walking around saying, I don't need to take classes, but I do feel like there are people who are very comfortable thinking of themselves as seasoned experts. Mm. Yeah. Um, the the conference and and workshops, I guess the um, the one of the other examples in this section is around community support. Um, and how, I mean, the example is about declining to participate in community kind of events, um, but uh, from a positive example perspective for that that part I think um the like you said Terry being being around other people that that social um interaction with other like-minded people um in Australia we don't have that many conferences um that we have maybe two a year if we're lucky uh, and from an agile perspective anyway, and um, you know, they've kind of just come back to life after COVID and I've been to the last two, the last, I don't know, 12 months. And uh, one thing that it reminded me of was that community aspect of it, the, the social, uh, seeing people in real life again and hearing their stories and... Um, what they what they've been up to and how they've evolved um, as practitioners or whatever they are um, themselves. Uh, I don't think you can underestimate the value that you get from attending um, those conferences and interacting with people. One hundred percent agree. I uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, this past fall, I attended a conference with a peer of mine. And um, I have been back in the office environment for a good number of months. <laughs> and so my peer got used to seeing me inside of our office environment. Um, but I hadn't been like in a face-to-face -face conference for just so long. And mm -hmm. um, he and I attended this conference. And at the end of it, he was like, who is this person who attended here today? Because it was so much energy from being around so many new voices and so many different ideas. And it was even in a geographical location that was different from mine that like, even, you know, and a lot of the topics were like really great refreshers. Um, even if I wasn't walking out of that conference with a big bang moment, it was just so mm -hmm. good for my soul to connect with other people and to just kind of be around that kind of energy that we have in sort of our agile, our large agile world community, that it, it was really spectacular. And so community is just so important on so many levels, even at like a more like local in your organization mm -hmm. kind of level, but mm -hmm. like 
taking that past, it's just, it's wonderful to be able to meet new connections all over the place. Mm. Yeah, I run the local um, Women in Agile meetup group here in um, Brisbane. And I mean, I don't, we don't have them every month. We have them every um, eight, 10 weeks. Um, but yes, the it's interesting. I Someone asked me recently why, um, why I do it. Why do I uh, keep facilitating the meetups? And I said, well, I mean, I thought about it for a little while. I'm like, yeah, why do I do it? Um, and it kind of boiled down to, well, I'm, I want that environment for people to learn. Like in, in lieu of the conferences once or twice a year, not everyone can get to those and not everyone can get to training courses and training courses are kind of a different experience again so to be able to create that opportunity for people to come together and share stories and create connections so that they can potentially support each other or you know be those that peer support um outside of those meetup groups um again it's it's invaluable um and i think that's where i'm up to that thinking of (laughs) why i do that um yeah anyway so do you – I have a question about this and it goes back to the selfish thing. I do a lot of volunteer work on this kind of stuff and I do it I think to help me from like 20 years ago. Mm. Like I'm trying to create the stuff that I needed that wasn't there or maybe was there and I'm trying to pay it back. And I, I mean do you think maybe that's part of mm. what you're doing? Yeah, it's definitely creating – uh, cause when I was me, I don't know, 15 years ago, um, there, Own there, that. <laughs> there wasn't, uh, there, there, there wasn't the opportunity that there is now, um, with yeah. our meetup groups. So yes, I, I'm trying to create that safe space that people can, you know, I don't, I don't mind, like they could never have heard of Agile before if they'd want, and they just want to come and learn about it. Um, I've definitely had people along like that. Um, or they might be people who've been living and breathing it for a long time and still struggle with aspects of it and um, or, you know, those sorts of things. But, yes, definitely creating that environment for my past self and, and wishing that I did have that kind of environment back then. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. You evolved my thinking on that. Um. Uh, we're almost out of time. So before we finish, uh, is there any uh, final advice you'd like to give our listeners, whether it's to do with this section of the code or just with the code in general? Kelly, you want to go first? Uh, sure. I'm not sure which level to give the the advice. So the advice is definitely to read it and mm-hmm. to boldly and courageously think about yourself in these ethical sort of situations or um, assurances. And really to the point that we're talking about today, do the introspection, hold the mirror up and say like, where, where can I do better or do differently? And, and just know my, my personal opinion is that like, there's always a something, <laughs> there's always a something more or different. Um, that's available. And so 
I think when you read them and you really think through maybe a lot of what you've done <laughs> or you've seen, um, you, you know what can happen when you have like a coach with really good ethics and how much of a world of difference that makes and why the code's needed. I think I, I agree with everything you just said. I think um, when I come back to it, every time I come back to it, getting ready for this interview is like my fourth time going through it. I'm constantly like, oh, I'm a horrible person. <laughs> I'm terrible. Uh, I would totally get canceled for that thing that I did. And I think, and I also think that about other people too, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like somebody will have done something like that. It, maybe it's ethical, maybe it's not. But I think an important aspect of this is you. Can, it, it helps to not look at it like someone is good or bad or something is good or bad. There's an action that was taken. They probably had the best of intention. Um, I think COVID and what that's done to people's jobs and job security completely upended the way a lot of people react to certain things. And this gives you a chance to maybe gain some insight and be better next time around. And so I'm trying to use it like that, not as a tool of like self-flagellation, but a way to notice things like, oh, I could have maybe handled that better. Um, what could I do to do that better, to be more in alignment with it? Or how can I stop judging other people if they seem to me to be out of bounds of it? Because I don't really think that's my job to be the police of other people. Mm. Very true. You can't really slap the ethics down in front of them and go, read this. <laughs> unethical. <laughs> Roll up your sleeve. See my tattoo, the ethical yeah. code. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, both of you, for your time today. It's been great talking to you. I really appreciate you having me on here, especially since I'm not a woman in Agile. So thank <laughs> you for the opportunity. <laughs> no worries, Dave. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It was enjoyable. Beautiful. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit and scrum.org. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. Please go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiative and find more inspiring podcast conversations. 